Good morning. I'm Karen Audubonny. Um, on the air with me is 5th District, 5th District Supervisor Ted Williams. Ted, are you there? Oh, Ted, come on the air. It's always a pleasure to join. There we go. A little bit. I got a little louder. There you go. Introduce yourself. There you go. Ted, are you there? I'm here. Uh, he's kind of breaking up. I think he's sitting in a car in Fort Bragg because he's got another meeting to go to. Thanks, Ted, for taking out time to do this. I know it's hard uh, with all the meetings and everything you're going to to get you to... Timing is always a big issue with you guys. So, you haven't been on the air for quite a while. I wanted to catch up with um, how you're doing with this Board of Supervisors, your concerns, uh, the good stuff that's going on. Um it's been a heck of a year for budgets. We went from having all that PG&E money to spend around and distribute it to now we have maybe a $2 million um, leftover from last year they're talking about. But we're going into an austere budget coming up because um, there's not as much money flowing into the county. Uh, TOT is down. Uh, that's a transient occupancy tax. Uh, sales tax is down. A lot of reasons for that happening. The crash of the cannabis market, all that good stuff I've talked about on the air. Um, so the money's going to be tight. I will do a shout out to you, Ted, for every time somebody comes up, an idea comes out about spending money or expenditures, you always always say, what about the roads? Thank you very much for doing that. That's very important. So um budget how's it look how do you feel about it i think the short of it is there's not enough money to cover the mandated uh services and the public expectations and you know passports have struggled with this as far back as i can see and it's always been about deprioritizing one priority for uh something else that the public is concerned about and it's basically a game of whack-a-mole you look at 75 buildings the county uh, has poorly maintained over the years. There's probably hundreds of millions of dollars of deferred maintenance. I'm sure they did that because the roads or, you know, so, some other service in the county uh, was also in need. Um, but that's not a long-term strategy. You look at the structure of 58 counties. Without growth, uh, a, a, a county effectively has less dollars to work with in real terms every year. That's very true. Um, it, it doesn't look like, I mean, we do not have a lot of growth in Mendocino County. I mean, there was a big spurt when the whole cannabis industry started taking off with, and even the black market, but that's realigning itself as you've talked about. Um, so without growth and with cost going up, I guess that's what I see a lot of it is just the cost of doing anything anywhere in the county has, you know, gone up exorbitantly. Um, so we need to cut back. Is that what kind of is the direction we need to go? We need to streamline. We need to liquidate some of these properties we have. I mean, what what is what kind of direction do we do? I think we have to, uh, as a as, as the people, decide what the true priorities are. Rank our priorities, and it may be that there's 20 on that list, and we only get to 14, and say that's all we have. You know, it's easy to say that it's a little bit harder when you look at state and federal mandates and state constitution tells us public safety is the number one priority. And I, I support that. And I think I've been voting in favor of supporting public safety. Uh, but it's a little bit nuanced the closer you look. Uh, collecting the taxes 
uh, is one way to support public safety. If you don't collect the taxes, you don't have a way to fund the sheriff. Uh, in order to collect taxes, you need to assess the properties. You need an IT department so that you're operating efficiently and you know you don't have a paper office. You need the facilities. You need a place for those people to work. So you start putting together all the ingredients of what it takes to provide public safety. It's basically the structure the county has today. Um, so it's easy to get up and say, let's make a shift. This isn't working. It's a lot harder when you look at the details. And the some bottom of the line is this county doesn't produce enough tax revenue. True, especially with a lot of the mandates that are coming down from the state that, like you say, are unfounded mandates. Um, I think I try to encourage our listeners to get a hold of our state uh, leaders to let them know that they're kind of they're killing the the rural county counties with um, requiring all these unfunded mandates. so one of the one of the things that's come up is that uh, you talk about the facilities the county owns. Um, that was one of the topics I wanted to bring up after the budget and what's going on because some of it is that we do own. You said seventy five. I looked. I thought it was seventy one. We own and we leased forty seven properties. Um, and then you have a list that you came out with just saying that these certain properties have not been maintained, which. I would not be surprised because it's the same way with deferred maintenances with our roads. So are there, can we look as a county to transfer ownership of some of these properties? Because the ones that jump out to me is I know there's been discussion of the parks um, and the taking the county, I can't remember how many parks we have, five, maybe six. <clears throat> so we half, ma- of them, half of them are in district five. Yeah, I know. That's why you're on the air. <laughs> um So that's happening. So there's been some discussion of turning those over to private organizations, nonprofits, communities. Okay, that's one way um, to get some of the, you know, money that we would spend out by doing that. The other thing that's come up, and I know locally this is infecting Anderson Valley, but I think it's a broader issue because I think there's more to be discussed. Uh, The uh, Veterans Hall, the Veterans Building in Anderson Valley, that was at the top of the list for the county to dispose of because it's gone into such disrepair that the money to dump into it, it's just, we don't have it. But the county also owns six other Veterans Halls. I have not been able to find out the relationship between the county and if we're mandated to do veterans services and all of that. But one of the things I see is possibly... There are five of those that are within city limits, and I, like, Willits, Ukiah, Fort Bragg, um, and then there was Point Arena. I guess that's four of them. Um, last year, the city of Point Arena took over the property that was the Veterans Hall and also their, I think it was their city hall in Point Arena. How did that happen, Ted? Was that something difficult? Was that easy? I think it took took seven years. They'd been working on it since 2015 is what I heard. Yeah, even even easy tasks seem to take a long time with government. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to see that tra- tra- that transfer. I think it's a win-win. The county didn't have uh, the resources to properly maintain it, and the city needed a city hall, and it's really a multi-use building. There's been a number of other services operated out of it. So, um, and, and the city was able to get a grant, and that really made the pieces come together that they have some funds to uh, put into the deferred maintenance. So did the st- did the 
did the county just relinquish that to the city of Point Arena? Is that something possibly that would happen, could happen in the other veterans halls that are within city limits and have a, a an organ, a county or a government entity that could take it over? Is that even yeah, been as, on the as table? I understand that this is a proven pattern and where there's a city willing to uh, take on the responsibility of owning one of those um, facilities. I believe we can do the transfer. So that would that's a possibility. Okay, I see that as positive. I mean, I actually, I will put it out to everybody locally. I've been, I actually presented something in 2015 about the local Anderson Valley um, veterans building being taken over by uh, the community. And that allows the community to do work on these agent do on these buildings, because if we don't have that, it has to go through county facilities, which triples the cost and the delay, and, and there's just no money to do it. Um so this is an interesting topic. I don't know if it's agendized at all coming up. Um, are we waiting for county council's determination as to what can be done on these issues? I've asked whether it's possible to transfer to a community services district, a special district. Okay. Uh, just, I, we haven't had discussions with the CSD yet. Uh, I don't want to put them on the in the hot seat here uh, to decide whether they would be willing. But the question arose, uh, is, it, is it legal? And we're waiting for an analysis. Okay, so that hasn't come down yet as to whether what type of an NED entity you can turn these buildings over to. If it has to be a government entity or could it be a nonprofit? I think that was the other question. Or can do these buildings go back to the veterans? I think these are some of the discussions that I hope the county council is dealing with. So that would be nice to know. I, I await I await that decision, and I think a lot of people in the communities await that decision. But this is just a heads up to other communities. If you have these these veterans buildings in your community, it's the county's not being able to take care of them, and it, it may be that these city entities need to step up and start discussions with the county to um, help out. How's that? I'm lobbying for you. How's that, Ted? Um. Are you still there, Mr. Tewadooms? He's distracted, I think, in his car, or else I've lost his connection. Hey, Karen, do you mind if I do you mind if I switch over to a uh, phone instead of Zoom? I think the audio may be better. Sure, because you're kind of breaking up. I don't know how we do that. Okay, while he's switching, um, I wanted to talk about. Uh, we will. He's going to have to cut out a little bit early because he's got a meeting at the end. He's got a meeting at 10 o'clock that he's got to be at at Fort Bragg. I'm hoping he's picking up the Zoom. I'm not sure how he's doing that. I hope I haven't lost him. So um, I'll be picking up the slack at the end. I do want to be taking some phone calls because you don't get access very often with open lines to um, one of the supervisors to find out what's going on. And I'm hoping he's dialing back in. Come on, Ted. We So at the end of the, at the, end of the show, I'll be... Um, talking about some of the issues that are coming up and all of that. In the interim, if you do want to get in, it's 895-2448. Don't forget you've got to do 707. And he doesn't seem to be coming back in. I'm not sure what's going on with Ted. So, yes, uh, we've got, I've been following the supervisors, as you know. Um, one of the other, uh, so property management of the different buildings uh, that costs a lot, 
We've had a lot of deferred maintenance, like we have with our roads. So all of these things, anytime you defer maintenance, like, you know, at, at your homestead, uh, it's going to cost you more when you do get around to doing it because prices are going up. Uh, the other topic I was going to discuss with uh, Mr. Williams, Ted Williams, is the whole short-term housing issue. Um, that's a big issue on the coast. What happened recently is the Planning Commission. Okay, Ted's coming back in. He's trying to do it. Let me see if I have to push something here. I'm not sure. My phone is dinging in the back, folks. What a morning. Okay, I have to admit him. Okay, are you back, Ted? Are you back, Ted? I am back. I hope that's better. Yeah, it's a little bit scratchy, but we got it. Story of my life as I drive around Mendocino County and try to do meetings. <laughs> I know that seems to be the kind of thing that's been going on. So I did tell people we were going to take calls because we don't get a chance to get access open lines to the supervisors very much. But one of the issues I did want to raise before we do that is uh, a big issue that came up before the board uh, last week at your supervisors meeting was um, that uh, about short-term rentals and that's been a big issue on the coast now that what had come out through the planning commission they had actually put through or suggested moved forward to you the board supervisors an ordinance around short-term rentals on the coast uh, the board had the option of taking that up and making a recommendation or not addressing it and after a long back and forth and a reading of this very complicated ordinance, you, the supervisors, decided to not to take up the issue because the planning, so the housing update, there's a housing update coming up and something else. Can you explain the why that went the way it did, just quickly? Yeah, so, so a little um, correction on the fact pattern. Okay. Uh, the Planning Commission, best I can tell, actually made policy okay. uh, with a resolution. And the public reacted and said, hey, that should really be, uh, that's a policy decision. The Board of Supervisors should be involved. They appealed it to us. So not the greatest way to start the process. Um, you know, it should have been discussed under, the, you know, as a policy decision from the start, rather than uh, a, supporting a reinterpretation uh, of, of existing decisions. The, the short-term housing is really problematic. I know there's... Um, there's uh, in some circles there's a belief if we just banned all the vacation rentals we would have enough housing i don't think it's true when i look at the numbers and how those houses are being used uh it's it's really a mix i've talked to a lot of those owners uh their space isn't available all year they use it seasonally or you know it's the upstairs it's an outbuilding they're not going to rent it full time their kids come part of the year there's a lot of different uh, scenarios that lead one to vacation rental. Certainly, some amount are houses that are being turned into quasi-motels, uh, and we're probably losing housing stock. It, I don't think it's anywhere near the number um, that uh, gets kicked around as a, as a rural legend. And I want to get to the heart of the issue, which is, if there's demand for housing, why don't we see new, new houses being built? And part of that is wages. Part of it is uh, state building code uh, might make sense in San Francisco or Oakland, but, you know, try to do it in Mendocino County and the numbers don't pan out. And uh, I think the county probably has a little culpability and we've been anti-growth for a long time. And it looks like we've we've tried to make it difficult to build new housing. So uh, rather than just, uh, you know, the, if, if imagine there's 100 houses in the county 
maybe four of them have short-term uh, vacation rentals of some sort. You outlaw those, you're not going to get the four houses. Maybe you get one house, and you, ha- and you need 30. And so let's get to the heart of the issue of there's demand. Why don't we see uh, developers building? I was actually I was actually shocked with the numbers too that I can't remember who came up with the numbers if it was the planning department maybe they came up with like maybe 150 or something and I didn't know if that was realistic because the other issue I have with the short-term housing it how much is it really how many of them are actually paying don't they have to pay a, a transit a TOT tax on um, short-term rentals or they're they, they, they do and I've heard that you know there are a bunch of scammers and they're that, not paying it that's I, what I don't I know if you go to Airbnb.com and type in one of our towns yeah you can see them they don't have a way to hide and uh, we've done uh, audits in the past uh, Supervisor Mulhern I think uh, shared with me the 2017 contract the other day I, I thought there was one more recent but the point is the county periodically hires an outside firm to look at what's listed online, compare it, make sure people are signed up and paying. And if they're not, obviously, we should uh, we should bring them into compliance. But uh, I think a lot of them are compliant. And uh, it does generate revenue. And it brings in people who spend a lot of money in our county. And, you know, if you, if you removed those vacation rentals, you would see uh, fewer events. You would see caterers impacted, restaurants impacted. It takes a critical mass of visitors in order to put on a lot of um, the revenue-generating uh, services and events. And rather than eat into that to, to in, a, in a belief that we're going to create long-term housing, uh, I'd like to see us uh, set policy that allows more uh, uh, construction to, to happen. So you're gonna. So the the board will be discussing this because we at this point in time we don't have any ordinance or any uh, restrictions around short term housing, if I'm correct. And you're going to be dealing because I know everybody's saying, "Oh, just follow Sonoma County. They've got a really good policy. Healdsburg, all these you know, cities have got good policies. Just you know, don't recreate the wheel. Just copy one of those." So we don't have one, as I understand now. But what you're saying is that this is going to be dealt with with the with the new housing element, looking at the housing element and uh, and the coastal plan. I hope. Well, there's a there's an inland zoning code update that's happening now. Okay. And then uh, there's local coastal plan update that will happen. Uh, we received a grant from the, the Coastal Commission. And I imagine in both of those processes, this is one of the, the elements that will be uh, considered. Okay, I hope so. I mean, I mean, there's just been a lot of discussion about it, and I know all the counties around us are dealing with it, and it just seems like Mendocino County is the last one to deal with these kind of issues. Speaking of housing, though, I got to do a shout out to you guys. Finally, after many years having watched that big south, the development at the south end of Ukiah, which is technically in the fifth district. Just let me shout out that um, it's across from the uh, health club there the gym, um, that is finally going to th- go through and finally happen. It isn't like 120-some units, 140 of housing, middle-income housing, I believe? Mar- market rate housing. And yeah. uh, it's the first it's first real housing development in about 25 years. Part of the irony is in order for them to pull it off, they've had to work around the county's inclusionary housing ordinance. Um, I, I have a drafted agenda item that's in the queue to consider uh, repealing that inclusionary housing ordinance because it's it's really put the brakes on uh, market rate housing. And uh, the state has a requirement of 10%. Our county has a requirement of 25%. Really? And 
you see the result. Developers look at, get one look at the numbers here, and they decide to build somewhere else. And, uh, you know, I think some, some of us uh, see that in the past the county has been no growth. And this may have been one of those policies put in place to essentially stop development. And, uh, you know, this the recent approval represents uh, the need of about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. We need two or three of those projects. So it's actually the inclusionary clause is more strict for unincorporated area of Mendocino County than the cities? Is that what I just heard, kind of? Well, it's more strict than the state of California. And uh, we see what the, what the, mar- the market has told us. It's a non-starter. You don't see developers coming to our county proposing uh, housing projects. I see it and, within the city uh, limits. You know, and so, have we, you know, it was well-intentioned. We, we want affordable housing, but the end result has been we just don't get much housing at all. Because that and, percentage. Uh, we, we, need a, we need market rate housing desperately. Yeah, I mean, I've seen development in the city limits, Fort Bragg, Ukiah. I'm not familiar with Willits as much because I don't go through there. But it's right. In the unincorporated areas, I just have not seen buildings going up. It'd be, a you know, one here, one there, and that kind of good. Well, um, I don't know what when. I think they're going to break ground this next year on that. So that would at least get some, you know, market rate housing into our stock. So that's a positive thing that's happening. It's been many years watching that happen. Um so the other one topic I wanted to hit on before I open the lines is broadband. That came up yesterday, and you mentioned that you, I mean, you've been really pushing for broadband in the county. It has been a long haul. Again, one of those things, it's unbelievable how long it takes to actually happen, even when there's money there to do it. So where are we at with getting broadband and to Mendocino County and making it accessible for everybody. Yeah, so brief, brief, brief history. Uh, the county, uh, back when I joined the board, did a, a very detailed analysis of what it would cost to connect the unserved houses across the county. And, and the total was about uh, three quarters of a billion dollars. And then uh, we heard the state would be uh, providing one-time funding, really historic, uh, branded broadband for all. And uh, initially it looked like we might get $18 million dollars. And uh, we uh, joined a CPUC uh, proceeding on uh, the definition of rural, as in rural county. And uh, they managed to get our funding allocation up to about uh, $58 million, which is substantial, um, but not nearly enough to actually carry out the work of wiring up the unserved houses. And uh, that funding doesn't come directly to the county. So it's not going to show up in our coffers to spend. We uh, have a role in, in steering the state on how it's spent. And part of that process, it's rather flexible, which is nice to see from the state that uh, one size doesn't fit all. But in other counties, uh, there are multiple providers that are uh, competing with proposals, and the county may be able to help steer which proposal um, gets, gets funded. My worry is we may not see any commercial interest with proposals to provide service across our county. The economics may not work here. Even with the one-time installation costs covered, it may still not be economically uh, uh, attractive to private industry. The potential exists for the county to build out uh, a network, county-owned, and then uh, operate it or bring in a contractor to operate it in partnership. And I'm I'm the last one to suggest the county take on uh, a new uh, endeavor, seeing how difficult all of our other obligations have been to, to perform. 
Um, but we certainly don't want that money flowing back to the state and federal government to be reallocated elsewhere. And so yesterday, uh, I got support from my colleagues to give direction to staff as a last resort if we don't see private industry stepping up uh, to bring back a plan to uh, have the county implement part of the, the network. And there may be a cost savings in some of our other categories. We spend a lot on our county microwave system and connections between facilities. That may be du duplicative uh, with a broadband. And so it may be that uh, combining those efforts, we could see more development than private industry could provide. You know, it's really the early stages. We're part of a joint powers with RCRC. RCRC represents the 37 rural counties. And, you know, rural, we, we think of Mendocino as rural. Uh, Monterey is in there as rural. So, you know, grain of salt on, on rural. And uh, that, that JPA uh, is uh, doing a study to uh, plan in various counties, including ours. That report is due back maybe in two or three weeks, and that may give us a little bit uh, better visibility into options. Well, I was surprised when you said about maybe Mendocino County going a different direction and picking it up and actually being in charge of it because of your stance on, you know, what uh, the county taking on too much. So I, I, when you said that yesterday, I thought, oh, this must be a really critical issue if you're stepping up and thinking the county should get involved. But thank you, thank you for explaining that, um, because yeah, that that's going to be a big one for us rurally. Um, to get the broadband in because it does affect people that are working and, and industry coming in. I think that's a big thing is having industry come in to the county. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, yes, go ahead, Ted. There's enough of funding to provide a wireless network to provide connections to everybody across the county. The state would prefer fiber connections to the homes. Okay. And I know historically, a segment of our population has been anti-wireless and really wants that fiber to the home. But if we find ourselves in a position where we either send the money back and we don't get broadband, or we have wireless for the sparse towns where fiber is just too, too cost prohibitive, what do we do? Is it is it time for Mendocino County to decide wireless may not be ideal, um, but it's better than being uh, disconnected? That is going to be a topic of discussion, I bet, and it probably is going to come down to that. Um, it's it's one of those issues that we're trying to move into this century, and it's going to take a lot. Um, so, uh, Ted, I know that you have limited time with us, so I did want to open up the phone lines for people that do have questions. And in between those questions, I still have a lot of topics that we can throw out. Uh, 895, that'd be 707-895-2448 if you have questions for Ted Williams, 5th District Supervisor. Um, economic development, that's a big issue in the county. I know you've been working with the West Company or West Development. I'm not sure what their name is now. I'm always just known by West Company. You've been working with them with with economic development do you think um how are you feeling about moving ahead with economic development um i know we don't have any money to throw at it but uh west company as from what i've seen has been moving forward and doing it from outside of government which to me i think is good take away from you know less that the government has to do how are you feeling about economic development and where we need to go I think economic development is best left to uh, private industry. Government isn't very successful in being the catalyst. You know, what I think would drive uh, the economy here is fewer rules, allow people to operate business without so much red tape, allow uh, developers and contractors to get busy building houses without 
you know, such a, such a bureaucratic delay. So just the, putting the funds into optimizing the county so that it's easy to do business here, I think would do more than, um, you know, what some may consider uh, pet projects and economic development. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not against any of the efforts. I would just rather they not uh, be funded with our precious general fund. So when you talk about getting rid of restrictions, a lot of the so you're talking about zoning codes, you're talking about building codes, because most of a lot of the building codes and stuff come down from the state, and we don't have any discretion, from what I hear. So I know well, uh, yeah. inclusionary housing ordinance. That's okay. entirely us. We put a roadblock in. Uh, you know, I, I asked our planning director the other day, and I, I'm a big supporter. I think she's doing a great job, and she's turning the, the department around. Um, so this is not criticism towards her or any of the people who work for for us. But I asked, what what does it take to throw a, a private wedding party on the coast? And you think economic development, private wedding party puts uh, caterers to business, salons to business, to business, um, landscapers to business. There's all sorts of jobs that benefit by having uh, visitors show up, uh, empty their wallets while they're here, and then leave. I like it when they leave because I, I like living on a rural coast. Uh you know, it depends. It's nuanced. It may even require a coastal development pr- permit. Um, we uh, There's a lot that we've done in policy that makes it difficult to operate a business. Take out a business license and we have to do a plan check of the structure. That makes sense if it's a restaurant and there's a we're concerned about the, the safety of the public. But imagine you're a watercolor artist. You want to be legit. You get a business license for forty dollars, and then you have to go pay over four hundred dollars to have the county uh, plan check uh, the studio uh, uh, that's in your house to make sure it meets code, where you have no customers. Uh, other counties, rural counties, uh, presume people are operating legally, and they don't go to that extent. I think there's a lot of room for cleanup, and it's not big bullet points. It's the small bullet points. It's all the the, the fine print and. Uh, uh, you look at our zoning code, and it, it came about organically over a long period of time, and it was all about restricting activity. We have a problem with blank. Let's restrict it. And that's kind of the issue I have with just banning short-term uh, vacation rentals as a blanket policy. You have, uh, you have basically mansions, bluff side, that bring people who spend a lot of money in the community. Those houses will never be workforce housing. The price point doesn't work. And so you don't want to just indiscriminately ban all of it. It may be that it's appropriate to surgically address uh, inland neighborhoods that are workforce housing that are slowly converting over to the uh, short term with a nuisance element. But we've got to be careful about how we implement policy that it's not a knee jerk where we lose uh, revenue to local businesses, revenue to the county in the process. See where you're going on that. One of the big discussions about short-term rental was uh, short-term rentals off of private roads and the damage they do and all of that in the neighborhoods. I, I agree that it needs to be selectively yeah, I'm, looked I'm, at. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about addressing the nuisance element of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, you know, what about somebody who fixes cars and uh, they live in a town where there isn't a shop available? They do it on their own property. Is that necessarily a nuisance? I'm, I'm not sure. If you're not careful, you start banning or making people fly below the radar in just about every category. And I think in the long term, our county has been no growth in anti-business. And as a county leader, you know, I'm the first to want to say, hey, we're open for business. We're pro-business, not toxic coal train, you know, not dirty factories, but, you know, within constraints of what we fits, think uh, fits our beliefs, our the character of our communities, we, we want business activity. When you look at the actual details of businesses that are trying to follow process, 
it's, it's a struggle. Um, the amount of hoops they have to jump through. And, you know, part of it, it's not just the county, it's the county, it's ABC, it's the Coastal Commission, it's the state. The number of agencies that they have to work with. I mean, I see small businesses that spend more than a year, and they may be paying a lease the whole time, trying to get all the approvals in place. Some of that is county's culpability. And it's on policymakers. It's not on our staff. It's on five supervisors. And I, I, you go back in the county history, subdivisions were shut down for four years because a judge found our general plan to be uh, insufficient. Back then, one of the proposals was to divide the whole county into a, a grid of uh, one-acre parcels. I'm thankful that didn't happen. <laughs> but what we have today, I could drive you out to a parcel and ask you, what's the, what's the zoning of this parcel? Is this rangeland? Is this upland re- residential? I don't think you could tell me accurately. There's not a lot of rhyme or reason. It's more we looked at what was already in place and said that's what will always be in place. It may be time to reconsider some of that. So are we going to be looking at zoning again? You said inland housing was on the table. When do we realign our zoning? There's an inland zoning update that's happening now. Okay. I, I would... I. I've been urging for more uh, public input sessions. It's really the public that should be leading this and the county responding. And it may be that some some towns uh, don't want development, and that's fine. But we have to get out of the mode of saying we desperately need housing, we want housing, and we're against development. Yes, right? it's the, not in my backyard. Housing, exactly. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is I do want to shout out that, that the thing is, is that a lot of people have gotten involved in the planning process processes and zoning in the past and the leadership at the time at the county seat um, disregarded it i know that was happened in anderson valley so if we're inviting the county to or the citizens to get involved the residents to get involved i would hope that the leaders listen to it and take it into account when they make those kind of um, decisions so i've got people calling in 895 uh two four four eight we're gonna get some calls for you ted hang on here i'm gonna try to get a caller on good um good morning caller you're on the air do turn down your radio please okay thanks very much um i wanted to go back to your um discussion on the veterans building it's the richard shoemaker and i was richard how did how did that happen down there richard shoemaker past supervisor Yeah, and so about 2014, there was an assessment of the building done here. Basically, all the needs were listed, photographs taken, so uh, both parties understood what was up with the building. In 2015, the, the city council considered taking the building on, but at that point uh, decided there wasn't enough resources in the city to take it. So that kind of went to bed. So there wasn't work being done on it for the next five or six years. It just was put aside. And then uh, about 2002, the city applied for a grant for a renovation of the building for planning, design, and so forth. Uh, And um, at that point in time, the discussions opened up with the county again. Ted was very much part of that. And... um, Again, discussion about what some of the things that needed to be done happened. There was a bunch of dangerous trees. The county actually spent a fair amount of money, five figures and the high five figures, to take a bunch of bad trees out. And then the actual process for, for moving the ownership over to the city was pretty simple. And the basic premise of these buildings is that they were built 
uh, as veterans buildings for the good of the community and whoever takes them on needs to make them available to the veterans and the community to use. Um, sometime during that process, I think before 2015, the Coastal Seniors actually looked at trying to acquire the building. And my understanding was that then County Council determined that that a nonprofit couldn't take ownership of the building. Um, that is different than a community services district because that's a government agency. So I think that uh, uh, in in probably the bet would be that a government agency of some sort could take on the ownership of a veterans building. Hey. And it might be a nat- nat- might be a natural for a place like the city of Ukiah and things across the street. It's very actively used. Um, but I think there's a lot of due diligence that needs to take place by those agencies. All right. There you go. Hey, thanks, Richard. Good job. You bet. Thanks a lot. Uh, That clarified that. Yeah, that was my understanding that it had to be a government entity of some sort. So I guess I I await the county council's uh, decision on that, Ted. Maybe you can put a a request in his pocket to make it happen sooner. So 895-2448. We're talking with Ted Williams, district supervisor, but there's a lot of county issues that he gets to see and have to deal with. Um, so Ted, I know, uh, we've covered a lot of issues. Um, uh, what, once you put some on the table, what do you got going well, you know, news reporting, this all starts with democracy depends on accurate journalism. Yes. And one of the biggest struggles is, you know, I, I read news and I say, hey, wait, I was there. <laughs> Those facts are wrong. That's not what happened. Yeah. And, and that's been the biggest eye opener for me, because if I hadn't been there, I probably would believe what, I, what I'm reading. And I would think, wow, this is a really dysfunctional place. How can these clowns be making such bad decisions? You know, and the reality is, there's competing interests. There's a lot of regulation. They may have the same goal in mind, but how they get there has to be uh, has to follow a strategy. And you know, I think KZYX does a good job reporting. Uh, Sarah tries doesn't get it 100 percent. Nobody can, but uh, in good faith tries to uh, share the truth of what's happened. And um, and I'm very thankful for KZYX because you know there's other sources that where it's just a fiction. And and that you know I, it's not. Um, it's not personal for me, but, I, but I'm starting to see the long-term impact. If you have a public that doesn't trust their representatives to look out for their interests, you start to erode uh, the, whole, the whole public process and decision-making process. And you have electeds uh, responding to um, dispel rumors rather than fighting for uh, public interest. So you know, I'm both thankful for KZYX and concerned that as media has gone online and corporations have gobbled up local papers, the public doesn't have um, a lot uh, of credible information to go on. And that's why I get you on the air. And that's why, yeah, it's true. We need to be have, have direct access to the policymakers so that you know what's going on and keep informed um, at the accuracy of it. And I will tell everybody that I, I know sometimes the county website can be difficult, which we was discussed yesterday at the supervisors meeting, but the agendas are 
online. You can go there and find them. And you can also, after the meetings, you can actually stream, you can stream the meetings on YouTube. And you can also go back online, look at the agenda and pull up just the item that you want to see. And you can stream that on YouTube to see how it went. So that's really good. Yeah, speaking of IT, how are we doing on our IT? I know we've spent ungodly amount of money on IT. Do you feel, since you're an IT guy, is it getting better? Are we actually moving ahead? It, it, it's definitely moving in the right direction. Oh, it's thank like the buildings. you. You have, you have decades of deferred maintenance on buildings. <laughs> you have decades of deferred on, on IT. And where that bites us is uh, a task that should take five minutes. Maybe it takes an hour. And if you multiply that across an organization, uh, we're, we're burning a lot of staff time with, with poor tooling. And it's, it's not cheap. So, it, you know, you look at our budget where every dollar is allocated. There isn't the seed funding that's needed to modernize. And we're doing it little pieces at a time, and it is making a difference. But the county will have to continue on for years to catch up. Um, we had an uh, accounting software that was a hand-me-down from another county. Yeah. About before I joined the board, yeah. six, seven years ago, they switched to another vendor. And it's it's been disastrous. Oh, right. I mean, to totally. the point of staff can't change addresses on parcels and can't balance and, you know, basic features, couldn't bill for a long time. And, you know, maybe we lost supplemental taxes for 2015 to 2017. Real shame. Money on the table. Some people paid, others didn't. Now it's too far back that we can't collect. That's the kind of stuff that, that I don't want to see ever happen in this county. And a lot of it comes back to IT. That work has to be done with software in the modern world. That's and there's, there's, there's a purchase of the software, but there's also the integration, the maintenance, the training. Training is huge, and I don't think the county uh, historically has been adequately invested to train our staff in the latest tools. It doesn't matter how great the tool is if you don't know, have people who know how to use it. And integrated in it. I've got a call. We're going to get a caller on here, Ted. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yes, thank you. You have a question? Can you turn down your radio and all that good stuff? Yes. Um, Supervisor Williams, my name's Karen Bowers, and I have heard you uh, talk about various roadblocks to progress um, at every turn, and that is everything from um, zoning to economic development to trying to get appropriate charging stations um, in towns uh, in the county. Do you have like a? Do you keep like a list of roadblocks to progress? And is there a venue for exchanging um, ideas about how to get through it with your colleagues and with the public? It's been a heuristic process, and so every day the ranking is changing a little bit for me. And I recognize there's a thousand items on my list. A lot of those battles I'll never get to. What are the ones that will make the biggest difference in quality of life for the people who live here today and will live here in the generations to come? And, um, you know, I think we have a board that's working exceptionally well. I, I admire the four people that I work with. Certainly there are split votes. We don't agree on every policy. A lot of that is they're representing a different segment of the county population. You know, when Dan and I disagree, I, I, I usually jump to, well, the people in Fort Bragg, um, he's fighting for them and the rest of the 4th District, but you look at the population base, he's probably representing them well, even though it's contrary to um, the decision I reached in trying to represent the people in the 5th. I think we have a board that works really well together, no animosity, and uh, I think we all see uh, probably the top 10 issues uh, 
perfectly aligned. The question is, how do we make progress on those? And, you know, I, I hear the idea of get the state involved and, and, you know, get our state representatives to take it up. I'm always fighting for our state representatives to take up local issues. But I also know they, they do represent us. Assembly, uh, state uh, Senator McGuire and Assemblymember Wood, they understand our position. They go to bat for us every day. The problem is our assembly member represents uh, five counties. Los Angeles has 27 assembly members. They're, they're outnumbered. And so our issue isn't getting our, our state representatives to support us. It's getting the people of Los Angeles to support us. And how we might make that argument is, look, we're costing the state a lot of money in services that, that if we had a strong economy may not be needed. And the way we get a strong economy is you take some of these rules away that work for the urban centers, and except we're a rural county, we need to roll back and be reasonable. We would rather have law-abiding um, uh, uh, members of our, of, our, of our county able to build houses, able to build businesses and generate revenue, even if it's not quite up to the same standard as somebody in Los Angeles. Thank you for the call. Callers, 895-2448, if you want to talk to, have a question for Ted Williams. Yeah, I, there used to be, and I still think there is, an organization or a kind of a grouping of rural um, counties that get together and do lobbying for rural counties in the state. Is that still happening that you know of? It used to happen. It, it is. We're actively involved. Good. It, 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 all the, the 37 rural counties together, though, are, don't come anywhere to being a majority. Right? No, we're, never have. We're, I, and, and I, you know, I want to believe we have some sway in policy, but it, it's not very much. No, and the and only so, way... Yeah. You know, a, winning, a winning argument will be one that the urban counties back because they see they're going to get something out of it. The people they're representing will see, well, maybe these rural counties won't be a burden, right? There's a way to do this as a win-win where the urban and the rural both feel like... And, you know, I would... I would phrase it as a uh, maybe a two-tier regulatory system. Treat you know po- counties with a uh, under a certain population density somewhat looser. Ooh, I like that idea. That's a good concept. We're going to get another caller on Ted. Hang on. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Uh, good morning. Um, <clears throat> the way I understand it is with the um, uniform building codes that the board of supervisors has the choice to adopt the state the state adopted rules and um there there may be some uh kick uh drawbacks for for not doing that but i i don't believe it's carte, carte blanche it is that it is possible and uh to uh follow a different course and have local rules anyways i'd like to hear a comment on that okay thank you Ted, do you know anything yeah, about so it, that? That'd be great. Yeah, the update to the uh, state building code comes on our agenda for for approval. But here's the kicker: if, as a board, if we decide to not uh, uh, accept and approve it, yeah, a few months later, the state forces it on us. So you know, it's the it's the impression of local control. But when you look at the details, well, we we don't really have a say. Um, our 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 planning and building folks that though are able to attack attack on some. Uh, uh, adopt some changes at a local level that uh, do somewhat streamline or allow uh, more flexibility. It's not enough, but they, they're doing what they can. I, I, I've never seen the state roll back building code, and so I'm not, I'm not pushing in that direction so much as land use is local. Deciding on density, a 40-acre parcel uh, with two houses, can it support a third house or a fourth house? 
you know, I think there's enough room for it. If it has adequate water and septic, right, if it can meet the health standards, yeah, we should probably allow a little more density. Do we do that across the whole county or do we ask individual towns? Um, you know, that's up for debate. But we we know the easy parcels have been built out. There's 3,800 square miles in this county with under 100,000 people. Uh, yet we've zoned in a way where there's not a lot of opportunity for growth. I would say maybe in some areas we should allow that third or fourth uh, structure to be built so long as, you know, general health requirements can, can be uh, addressed. And that can be dealt with zoning, right? And we have the, we have the last say on that. The zoning is, land use is local. Zoning okay. is a local control. That's between the people and their elected officials to, to set policy. Good. Okay. Uh, we're going to get another caller on, Ted. Hang on here. Good morning, caller. Whoops. Nope, that one didn't go. Um, yeah, so that's good to know because that's... These are the kind of things where we need to start reevaluating where we're at now compared to where we were at 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, the whole density issue is a real, like you said, 40 acres. My gosh, come on, three houses on 40 acres? That seems like pretty lightweight uh, density for me. Okay, we're going to try to get this caller back on. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Hi, Karen. It's me, Benna. Hi. What's your question? Hi. Okay, here's my question, and I just I just tuned in, and I'm sorry if I if if I missed this, but my question has to do with you got to turn your radio down, Benna. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Let me she, turn it off. She's okay. giving me back feed okay. here, feedback. Okay. Okay. All right, there you go. Okay, here's my question, and it has to do with fire uh, issues after all of the trees fell down, and particularly on the road I live in, which is Mountain View Road. I'm hearing from people that they're really scared that um, they they don't have the money to clean up all the cleanup of the downed trees, and it's like a it's like a keg there. If if it goes on fire, you know, there's not egress for people. There's not, you know, people are thinking about leaving. And is there any money? Is there any agencies that can help areas that got hit really hard this winter with all the trees that fell down? Great. Okay, I'm going to have you take that on the air. You can turn your your radio back up and I'm going to see you okay. after the show at the food bank. Benna is in charge right. of the food right. bank. See you there, kiddo. Bye. Okay, honey. Bye. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm actually in the process of trying to get Luke Kendall on. He's the head of Cal Fire for Mendocino County. And I do believe there are some programs available. Ted, you're a firefighter. What you know? Well, I, I agree with her. I think it's a, it's a real risk. The, the county doesn't have a pot of money for that. But uh, I think Cal Fire is a good first step. Um, there, it, it may be worth investigating whether uh, our d- uh, disaster recovery resilience team knows of any grants that, that be outside of uh, Cal Fire that, that may help. Uh, the county does fund Fire Safe Council in part thanks to the voters supporting Measure P. And uh, I know they're not going to do large-scale ag properties, but they may be able to help with some of the uh, chipping brush removal around houses. Definitely worth getting in con- contact, and they typically want several residents uh, in a in a tight geographic area to coordinate on a day, and they have some uh, requirements of how you stack your piles. But that's that's been a real success in other parts of the county. We've done it several times on the south coast, and uh, it was multi-day participation. 
Yeah, I did get a notification that Yorkville area, there are going to be more chipping days. So I do know that there is money on the table. But I'm, I will be doing a show coming up directly addressing those issues with fire safety. Um, not only is Luke Kendall going to come on, but I think we're going to get uh, uh, Crowdy from um can't remember his first name uh fire safe council yeah fire safe council to get on to talk about that and then i'm going to push him today to get that on sooner than later because the weather is turning it's going to be hot it's going to be dry and that's going to be in us again with fire season so ted we're getting about ready to wrap up here but we have another caller coming in which is good because that's why you're here good morning caller you're on the air with ted williams question yeah my question is um, with all the uh, negative losses with the cannabis taxes that have happened, um, I believe the president recently mentioned that there may be an interstate way to move California cannabis and our commerce between states that are legal. Do you see in your crystal ball a major influx of taxes possibly coming to our back to our area if this happens? Right. And is the county going to be prepared for that thank you so i i try to uh go down a line of what looks realistic to me rather than what i want to be true and a lot of people in this county want there to be revenue from cannabis and legal cannabis to be viable at a small scale um i think it's uh it, cannabis with legalization is moving towards traditional ag and certainly there will be profits people will have businesses uh, growing cannabis and processing cannabis I don't think it'll be anywhere near as lucrative on a small scale as it was historically. Historically, this was a place you could hide it. But now that you can grow it anywhere, you can grow it on flat farmland. You know, um, America's THC consumption may be a, a, a Midwest farm. And uh, interstate commerce opening means that we can sell our product across state lines, but it also means states with lower uh, uh, land costs, water costs, energy costs, labor costs will be competing. And at some point, I imagine it will be international, but NAFTA will kick in. And you look at the avocado grown in, in uh, San Diego and how much of that moved across the border. Same reason, cheaper resources. Um, I, I don't see it as an economic strategy in Mendocino County. I know we would like it to be, but the in a, in a, in a perfectly competitive market, the price of the commodity goes to, uh, the profit goes to zero. And I think that's what we're seeing is that it was very lucrative, but now that anybody can do it, there's people willing to do it larger scale and sell it at a lower price and uh, they're racing to the bottom. So I, I can't imagine that being a, a growth industry in our county. I guess the only thing I see is that we do have the emerald. We've got the uh, name recognition for having been Mendocino County and the triangle and all of that. But yeah, I mean, Oklahoma is turning out pot or uh, cannabis and cheaper and like you said land and overhead and all that is cheaper so hey ted i i, I, I think you will see a premium for yeah. essentially for brand mendocino county but maybe it'll be 50 dollars a pound instead of 25 but it's not going to be 500 a pound or 5,000 a pound those days are over oh those days are way over like i've always said we are not two buck chuck we are the pino of the cannabis industry hey ted i'm gonna let you go because you got a meeting to go to don't you i do and they're um they're asking where I am. Thank, thank where... you for having me, and uh, I hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, stay in there. Keep keep giving them uh, the, the what for. Thanks, Ted. All right. Okay, that was Ted Williams. So um, there's a caller on the air. I will get you on. Good morning, caller. Ted's gone, but what was your question? Maybe we can deal with it. Uh, yes, I'd just like to comment on his comments related to the future of the cannabis industry. Wait a minute. I recognize that voice. This is Michael Katz. 
Yes, hello. It is Michael Katz. Thank you for answering. Are we on the air? We are on the air. It's your it's your gig. Uh, Ted had to go. Great. Ted had to go because he's got a meeting, but he'll 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 hear it. Right on. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Yeah, I just think that uh, I, I disagree with the numbers that uh, Supervisor Williams was mentioning. Right now, you know, there's uh, legislation moving through the state to enable the small producers like we have here in Mendocino to sell directly to consumers. And when producers are able to sell directly to consumers at reasonable rates, uh, they can still receive up to $2,000 or more per pound for their product. Great. And the reality is, as you said, Karen, we are world famous for producing some of the best cannabis available. And we're not competing against the commodity producers when we get to the larger markets. As you said, I don't hear Supervisor Williams saying to the local wineries like, oh, your craft product is going to be worth zero in the long-term market. That's True. not realistic. Hey, Michael, every- I got to go. But thank you for bringing right, well, that up. But you got some good points, and you know I'm backing you. Thanks a lot. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks, there you Darren. Go. All right, folks, it's time to wrap up. I just want to big a shout-out. Wednesday mornings on KCWX is getting you the information you need. You've got Mari Roden, and you've got Dan Jurdy. So if you want to know what's going on in the county, 9 o'clock Wednesday morning, you will find out. And I will be back with you in two weeks. Do stay tuned. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.